WCNC Charlotte. This is Flashpoint. Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. This weekend, we are celebrating the Earth here in Charlotte and across the country. Scientists largely agree that carbon emissions from everything like cars to factories are contributing to global warming. But there's an ongoing debate about the most efficient way to keep our Earth clean. Coming up in a moment, we'll hear from a climate expert based right here in the Carolinas about what needs to be done to slow down our changing world. But first, joining us now is the Chief Sustainability Officer for the city of Charlotte, Sarah Hazel. Sarah, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, so explain to us, first of all, what is your job? I think you're the first person to actually hold this, this role at the uh, city of Charlotte level. What is it that you do? Well, as the Chief Sustainability and Resiliency Officer, I am charged with focusing on how we become a sustainable and resilient city. And the main way that we do that is by focusing on the implementation of our Strategic Energy Action Plan, which Council unanimously adopted in 2018. So we're really working to reduce our impact on climate through uh, lowering our greenhouse gas emissions, and, and we do that in a number of different ways. All right, let me ask uh, sort of the, the obvious question. For the person at home who might be struggling to make ends meet, uh, wh why is what you just said still a priority for us as a society and for them as, a say, a family? I, I think that's a really great question. So, I mean, when, it really, when we really think about it, we can talk about the science behind all of this, but what we're really talking about is clean air for people to breathe and a safe and healthy environment for uh, ourselves and for future generations. So when you try to make it a little more personal like that, I think it really puts a, a finer point on why this type of work is important. And also all of this work is really, it, it's intersectional. So um, actually last night city council allocated a million dollars to a partnership with Duke Energy to uh, upfit homes both to make them safe um, with home rehab but then to layer energy efficiency work on top of that so that we're lowering people's bills which helps people make ends meet but also reducing our impact um, when it comes to the environment by making sure that we don't need to burn as much energy that's carbon intensive so these things are not kind of mutually exclusive they all intersect and they can help people's bottom line in addition to improving our environment. Uh, you sort of mentioned it earlier, the city working towards becoming a, a low carbon city by 2050. I mean, it's cutting down on everything from gas emissions, planting more trees. Put this in perspective, um, how big of a task is that and what needs to happen to make it a reality? It's a huge task. I, I think cities not only in North Carolina or across the U.S., but really across the globe are are working hard, uh, but this is a hugely ambitious uh, undertaking for us all. And it really takes not just, you know, a municipal approach, but a whole of society approach, private sector, public se sector, nonprofit, um, research institutions, and individuals to come together to, to make it a reality. So um, there's certainly strategies that um, are moving us towards that goal, but I think the great thing is that while cities are the places that typically are most responsible for emissions, right? We have the most people, we have um, the most transportation going on, things that can emit fossil fuel um, and, and carbon into the air, right? 
but at the same time we're, we are the places where we can be most innovative and, and we can really move the needle. So I think cities have a huge role to play. We're not the only ones that have a role to play and it's definitely not easy. Uh, part of this is also um, moving the city to 100% zero carbon fleet um, and facilities by 2030. 2030 is not that far away. I mean, we're, we're talking seven years. Um, where is the city on meeting those goals? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, when our city council adopted those goals, they knew that it was incredibly ambitious. And so, um, you know, 2018, it's now four or five years into our strategy. We know a lot more now than we knew then. You know, we see some electric vehicles coming on the market that we couldn't buy in 2018. And still, we don't have electric options for all of the vehicles that we need to transition. And so, uh, we don't know yet whether we're going to hit those goals, but I think what we do know is that we have some really good strategies in place and we're going to get as far as possible because those goals are incredibly ambitious. Um, upgrading the city's fleet would also include upgrading CATS buses. Um, it's been an ongoing controversy we, we, we've sort of covered here. It's an agency that's been struggling recently to keep workers and maintain buses and trains. You're aware of some of the issues with CATS. Where does upgrading the buses, though, fall in that pecking order? I mean, that's your priority, but is that necessarily going to be CATS's priority right now? You know, CATS is focusing on core services and probably one of the biggest ways that we can reduce our community-wide emissions is by getting more people out of their single occupancy vehicles and into other modes of transportation. In fact, the city has a strategic mobility plan that has an aspirational goal to, to do that by 2040 to shift uh, to 50% of people not traveling alone in their single occupancy vehicle. So um, whether it's an electric bus or a hybrid bus, getting people into buses uh, and onto transit or um, walking or biking or other, other modes is incredibly important for hitting our goals. So. I think um, the foundational work that CATS is doing right now is, is really critical because um, whether it's electric or not, it's going to make a really big difference towards reducing our overall community emissions. What do you think is the, the, the biggest sustainability challenge the city's facing right now? Well, you know, uh, and this isn't unique to sustainability or, or unique to Charlotte, but uh, there are certainly um, a lot of opportunities that, that we know are going to become possible. But we're still facing things like supply chain delays um, that make it harder to get vehicles and including electric vehicles. So we're needing to really work through that. Uh, we're testing new technology. You know, CATS has a, a 18 uh, electric bus pilot and um, we're, we are in the process of getting a electric fire truck built for our fire department and we'll be you know, learning how to use that new technology. And so kind of the the timing of the technology coming together um, and piloting these efforts and some of the real challenges that exist today with supply chain, I think um, that just uh, is something that we have to keep figuring out how to navigate. In your mind, what does a, a true green city look like, say, in, in 30 years? So, um, you know, from a municipal side of things, if we are uh, powering all of our operations, our vehicles, our buildings with zero carbon sources, uh, you know, you can imagine what that will look like, right? So not only will we have solar and other types of renewable energy uh, on our properties, which, 
you know, we're working towards right now. We have, um, once uh, we see everything constructed that's budgeted for, we'll have over 25 solar panels on municipal sites, but that really needs to be community-wide. So a real investment in clean, renewable energy, uh, a real focus on that as a, as a community and people using options to get to where they need to go that, um, that are sustainable, whether that's walking, biking, taking a scooter, uh, transportation. We know Charlotte is growing. Um, and if Charlotte's gonna keep growing it, and we also know people are gonna move here, right? So um, coastal cities, we're gonna see uh, more and more people moving to places that, uh, that aren't coastal uh, as we see the impacts of, of, of climate uh, taking effect. So it'll be a place where people will wanna come because uh, it is it is a place that has focused on and continues to focus on uh, clean air uh, and and doing that in a way that's equitable, where it it doesn't matter, you know, what part of the city you live in, you have access to the same benefits of of living in a healthy city. Can you achieve all the goals and the city achieve its goals um, without the necessary buy-in? Um, from say state lawmakers in Raleigh, or is this whole plan completely sustainable on itself with city resources and, and no really need for state help? So, I mean, I think I mentioned this earlier on, but it really does take an all of society approach, you know, at all levels of government um, and, and, and beyond government, private sector and nonprofits and, and individuals. And so, I think what I would say is that I think everybody believes in um, in clean air and clean water and safe and healthy ways to get around. And so, um, you know, sometimes language, I think, can um, can divide folks on some of the issues that we're talking about today. But when you get down to sort of what we're trying to achieve, I think that's something that pretty much everybody can agree on. So um, working on figuring out how to get there together obviously will will um, will be really important. That's a, a great way to end the interview on, on this Earth Day and um, I think an important message that everybody needs to hear no matter what sort of political persuasion they, they come from. All right, listen, Absolutely. thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Uh, it was great being here and, and thanks for having me. All right, take care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Rising sea levels threatening the coast of the Carolinas, and now researchers are working to help tackle the growing crisis. Joining us now is Kathy Dello. She's the director of the North Carolina Climate Office. Kathy, thanks for coming on and talking to us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So tell us, here in the Carolinas, how specifically in tangible ways are we seeing climate change play out? Well, we can break it down into just three easy things, hotter, wetter, and more humid. So we're seeing more extreme heat, especially at nighttime across the Carolinas. We're seeing more intense rainfall. So those days with three, four or five inches of rain are increasing. We're seeing sea level rise on our coast. So um, flooding on our, our coastline and also it's more humid. So those hot days just feel that much hotter. Wow, I asked for tangible and you gave me tangible ways. Exactly. Uh, um, so how are rising temperatures affecting cities like Charlotte? I mean, we often forget that Stronger storms lead to problems all across any city, including storm drains and flooding. Uh, how do we see it at, at an urban level, whether it's Raleigh or, say, Charlotte? 
Yeah, so um, especially in our cities, they're a little bit hotter than our green spaces, our parks and our countrysides. So when it warms up a little bit more, people in cities can suffer. Uh, we have folks who lack access to air conditioning or can't afford to turn it on. We have people who work outside all day and then maybe come home and don't have any relief. And from the agricultural perspective, Crops need cool temperatures too. They're like us humans. And if they don't have those cool overnight temperatures to develop, then we can see lessened yields. So we're seeing that across the Carolinas. And let's take it out to the coastline, something that, that we all treasure and, and appreciate living here in the Carolinas. H how is climate change affecting our coastline right now? So we are seeing the ocean rise, and that's something that we can go out and look at and see that the water is coming up in places where it hasn't before. And I know that folks have seen the videos online of houses falling into the ocean in the Outer Banks. So the water is creeping up in places where it didn't used to be. And that's because warmer water takes up more space and ice caps are melting. So we're contributing more water to the ocean. But we also have um, flooding risk on the coast from water coming down from inland. So if we're getting more rain, say in the Piedmont, those rivers will get higher and they kind of have a double whammy sometimes with compound flooding. And then on days where it's not even raining, you'll see sunny day flooding in places like Beaufort where tidal flooding will just uh, swamp the roads and, and make it hard for you to get to where you need to be. How optimistic are you that we can turn the tide No intended when it comes to say the outer banks i mean you're seeing there on a, on a yearly basis an erosion of the of the coastline how optimistic are you that that we as a society can sort of turn this in another direction well i'm optimistic that people protect what they love and we love north carolina for a number of reasons we have this really beautiful coastline and the outer banks we have the mountains and we have the cities that we like living in and it will take some changes. We are going to have to live a little bit differently. And we're going to have to deal with the fact that for the next few decades, we are going to continue to warm, um, that we are going to continue to have intense rainfall and the seas will continue to rise. So we have to think about resilience and we have to think about some of our neighbors who are among the poorest in North Carolina who may not be able to adapt as quickly. But I don't think we'll need to be able I don't think we'll have to retreat from these places. We can learn to live with the environment, but we're going to have to be creative and we're going to have to help each other out. Uh, you brought up an important point uh, that really applies across the country uh, and across the world is that people often, it's a luxury not to worry about climate change, but the fact of the matter is, it's the, the most vulnerable populations that will be the ones first faced with this. Because if you have wealth, if you have any sort of resources, if you have any sort of means, you can choose other options. It's those people who don't that end up getting hit with this face first. Yeah, and we see this with hurricane evacuations. People get really frustrated when people can't evacuate, but it's costly to evacuate. You don't know long, how long you'll be gone from home. You don't know how long you'll be gone from your job. You may not have the means to stay in a hotel and for gasoline and, and for losing food and supplies at home. So it certainly is a problem that affects our poorest communities, our low-income low communities the hardest. Let's talk about the skeptics out there. Um, I know this is science and, and science is science, but uh, there, there are skeptics out there sometimes. For folks who, who might not believe in climate change or, or just don't think it's that big, big of an issue, what do you say? 
So the actual percentage of people who flat out deny that this is happening is quite small. There are studies from Yale that show that it's about 9% of the American population. So we've got 91% who have some degree of understanding. Either they think that it's absolutely terrible or want to learn a little bit more about it. So I'm always happy to chat with the people who want to learn a little bit more about it. Most people aren't thinking about climate change all the time. I am, it's my job, but we have other concerns getting food on the table. Uh, certainly we've had a pandemic, you know, people are thinking about lots of other problems and climate is one more thing. I will say that in the past few years in North Carolina, folks can point to places that have flooded that didn't previously flood or feel these warmer overnight temperatures and are starting to make the connection that this is climate change. And for the folks at home watching this, and, and they want to help out, and they want to be more involved, and they want to be better global citizens, what's one thing that we all can be doing um, better to help out our environment? One thing is really easy. You can talk about it. You can talk about climate to people that love you and that trust you. So not everybody is going to talk to me and not everybody knows me, but your friends and families and neighbors know you. You can talk to them about your concerns, but you can also talk to them about solutions. And I'll also say that getting involved at the local level is really crucial and really important. We tend to think big about this big problem, but really um, getting involved in your community, making local scale changes, getting involved in your planning boards and your your transportation boards can really, really help out with climate change. Because you touched on this, but I think this is the, the message is that, you know, for some people, climate change is, is this pie in the sky idea that scientists talk about. But, but in your mind, climate change is really personal for all of us. It is, it's happening here in North Carolina. It's happening here in our backyard. And I, I rarely talk about the entire globe because we're concerned about our friends, our neighbors and our families. So thinking about what it means for us in Raleigh and Charlotte and across the entire state, but also thinking about the next generations and um, leaving the planet better for them than we found it. All right, Kathy Dello, um, climatologist. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us on this Earth Day weekend and uh, making us a little more informed about our Earth. Thank you, Kathy, Thank you we appreciate it. Me. All right, take Bye. care. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. A Pennsylvania-based group called Science Moms is made up of nonpartisan climate scientists and you guessed it, moms. And it's encouraging parents to have what they're calling clean versations. The group say these are, are chats about how harmful dirty energy can be to children's health and how our communities can switch to clean energy. Reporter Danielle Miller shares their message about the importance of these talks. The month of April marks Earth Month, making it the perfect time to talk about switching to clean energy. That's the goal of Dr. Joellen Russell, co-founder of Science Moms, who is encouraging families to all have clean versations. We want to start these conversations at everybody's kitchen table and at the PTA and at the and at the town council and at the state level, because essentially a lot of these decisions about what our energy systems look like are very local. And because of the new federal laws that have just been put in place for clean energy, there are opportunities right now for rebates, for subsidies, for discounts that 
um, have never been available before. The new law Russell is talking about is the Inflation Reduction Act. Signed by President Biden last August, this legislation provides funding for new rebates, programs, and more to help in the fight against climate change. One of these programs is the Clean School Bus Program, which aims to help transition away from traditional diesel buses. They're awful, and those fumes are terrible for our kids. They have the same things in them that you might find in cigarettes, like formaldehyde and benzene, and our kids are breathing it. Outside of having conversations with your children's school districts about what they're doing to reduce their footprint, there are things that families can do on their own, too. Whether it's your you switch to an electric dryer or you decided to thrift more, so you're keeping things from getting to the landfill instead of buying new. There are also tax credits you can use to install new heat pumps, purchase an electric vehicle, and more. Russell believes that clean energy switches and these conversations between families can make a big impact on our carbon footprint. We're talking to them because we think that mom muscle is needed and will work. That it was Danielle Miller reporting. More Flashpoint after this. Welcome back to Flashpoint. Come interact with us on social media. If there's something you want us to talk about, let us know. And as always, remember to listen and subscribe to our podcast. You can find it wherever you get yours. And we'll see you back here next weekend.